This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Carnivore Snacks. With only two ingredients, meat and salt, Carnivore Snacks is a clean way to stay healthy on the go with a quick and convenient meal. Perfect for travel, at the office, or even on the couch when you need that meat fix. Unlike other brands, Carnivore Snacks is light, flaky, Crispy. It is not jerky, it's a meat pastry. My personal favorite is the pork, which is light and flaky, perfectly salty. The beef sliders gives a great crunch and a perfect chip replacement. The ribeye is loaded with fat and melts in your mouth. All of their meat is grass finished, sourced from white oak pastures, and regeneratively raised. Support this small business and this podcast. Check out carnivoresnacks.com. And use code Laura East Bath for a 15% discount on your first order. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common Denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air,、uh, and, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my amazing friend and co host and author and all around. Amazing person, Judy Cho.、Um, one of the things that we hear a lot about in this space, and something that we have both personally struggled with, is just kind of our own image of our own body. And I think, you know, when you look in the mirror, are you seeing a true reflection? We know we're our own worst critic. And so we want to really dig in today to what is body dysmorphia? What's the difference between that and just kind of being, you know, pointing out the negatives in yourself? How do you affect it? And then hopefully get into、uh, how to overcome it and some ways to cope with it. And so I think that's the plan for today. I know this is a big issue and something that、um, people struggle with, whether they're gaining or losing weight. And it can kind of be this obsession for a lot of us. And so we're going to get into it today. Yeah, and I am going to kind of bring up the clinical definition of, it, of this. And first of all, again, this is not medical advice. This is just two of us talking and giving our opinions on it.、If、you feel that you, you know, are being defined by what we're talking about, that maybe then you need support. But again, please do not take any of this as medical advice. But I am, so I'm going to share the more clinical side of what the true definition of body dysmorphic disorder is. And this is from the Body Dysmorphic Disorder Foundation.、Um, and I will put the links in the show notes. It's characterized by a preoccupation with one or more perceived defects or flaws in appearance, which is unnoticeable to others. Body dysmorphia is. Not a eating disorder. It is a mental health disorder. It's where basically, you know, to put it really simplistically, it's where you are 
overly thinking about um, a defect or a flaw in your appearance. Um, it could be something specific where maybe you have but a mole on your face that you feel like that's the only thing that people see on your body. Um, it could be like Laura had mentioned that you lose weight and now there's one particular part of your body that you will basically define your weight based on that specific part of your body. Yeah, most common we see it in weight loss and in this space. And, and oftentimes it gets pushed into this like women who um, think they're fat and that's where it kind of gets pushed into. But it really encompasses so much more than that. Uh, and it's really just like you're saying, the obsession with that part of your body. Based on the research I did, it also can be just your overall. Like I don't really dislike one part of my face, but my overall face, I'm not very happy with. Then the struggle comes with all of this body dysmorphia that then your extreme or excessive self-consciousness will then basically be defined by this flaw or whether it's your full body, whether it's the weight loss and then whatever part of your body that now you're focused on. And then it affects the rest of your life and how you function. So for example, maybe there's a social event and you're like, I don't want to go or, or I can't wear a certain type of clothes because um, let's say, for example, here, I can give you mine. Um, I don't love my arms that much. And so I let's say we have to go to the beach and um, in college, um, everyone was going to Hawaii and we, I knew that everyone was going to wear bikinis and I was like, oh, I could never do that. And so I remember just not going because I was like, well, I'm not going to get into a bikini and it's Hawaii. How can I not be in a bikini ever during the whole trip? And so I decided not to go. And there's a lot of memories like that when I was really deep into um, struggling with my weight. And um, and I regret it now because it was such a small thing that affected my whole life. But that's a perfect example of how we can make our body dysmorphic views then affect um, kind of the rest of our life. So you, you said it's a small thing, like it, it, it is a small thing when we look back on it now when we're in a place of healing, but it is not a small thing in the moment. And I think that absolutely it's it's okay to realize like how big of that is. And I think to really overcome it, which we're going to get into hopefully later, but it is a huge thing and it can take sometimes a lot of time. And I think that's one of the things that we expect to lose the weight and then all of a sudden we're happy with ourselves um, or fix that one little thing. And then we're happy with ourselves. But I think that's where you see people who get addicted to plastic surgery and can't stop because once you fix that one thing that you thought was the issue, then you start picking other things or um, kind of going down that terrible thing. So, you know, once we get past it, we do have those moments like you mentioned, but it can seem like the only thing that matters when you're really struggling with it. You know, the thing about clinical definitions of disorders or mental health imbalances is that if you don't follow or fall into these categories, then therefore you're not as sick or as unwell. But I don't think we should always be defined by that. I mean, when I went in um, for my whole bulimia, I mean, their definition was I needed to be hospitalized immediately based on how many times I purged in a day. And I just didn't think that was the right metric because it varied based on um, each day. And so given that, I think even if these terms are, well, I don't miss out on events just because I don't like a certain part of my body. But if you're still in your head a lot and you're focusing on, oh, I know everyone's looking at my arm or looking at my lips or whatever it is. And then um, it's just affecting your mood and your anxiety is really high. So the biggest one is social anxiety is um, it'll go through the roof, right? So if you have an event, you have to go to a wedding, a party, um, a gathering, and all you're focusing on more than, oh, I can't wait to see so-and-so. Instead, if you're just like, oh my gosh, are they going to notice my lips or are they going to notice my legs or whatever it is, that's where it gets into this area that we're talking about. So it, it might not seem as extreme as um, I defined it, but it can still be something that's causing emotional distress, anxiety, shame, depression, um, feeling disgusted with your body or comparing yourself to someone else and saying, why don't I look that way? Or why can't I just have that thing? You know, these sort of almost obsessive thoughts can all be under this umbrella of body dysmorphia. Yeah, absolutely. There's it's I think it where it starts from, I think, is different for everybody. It can come from childhood trauma. It can come from looking at magazines. It can come from the media and from uh, comparing yourself to people on Instagram, the way that people have things filtered. And um, that's kind of the whole model industry. I think 
I mean, we can talk about this later, but the other side of this is now this new movement to really break away from that is the healthy at every size element, which, you know, we know is, is not necessarily um, accurate. I love the embrace your body movement. I love the love your curves movement. Um, and, you know, but I think that's where we're in this place right now. We're, pe- we're swinging the pendulum because I think so many of us, especially in this age range, struggle with being raised in the thin is best environment, right? I had a um, boyfriend in college who, which this is, let's not even go down that rabbit hole. He was an extreme narcissist and uh, really I lost myself in a lot of that for a few years. When you're in a relationship with a narcissist, um, you really lose who you are and you lose your connections to family and friends and you kind of get sucked into that world. But for somebody who was an extreme narcissist, he also you know, I, he was constantly telling me like his favorite celebrity, like, who's that? Um, I should, I, who, she's an actress. She was in Pirates of the Caribbean. She's like super tiny, thin. Uh, Keira uh, Knightley. Yeah. Keira Knightley. So he was upset. His favorite actress was Keira Knightley and he was obsessed with Keira Knightley. Well, I was an average size person at the time in college was when I started gaining my weight. He loved this waif of a person, Keira Knightley, which I actually shouldn't like she was very thin. I should say is, is probably more respectful way of saying it. He used to say that his favorite feature about her was that you could see her hip bones. And I'm like, wow. Like that's why he thought she was sexy in a bikini or whatever was because her hip bones stuck out. And so in my head, somebody who's obsessed with him, which this is a side note, right? Like years later, my grandfather told me that like, this was an unhealthy relationship. And he was like, you loved him and he loved him. Okay. Right. And so it was this, you know, crazy relationship, but I was so obsessed with wanting, like thinking that that was what defined me and would make me beautiful as if my hip bones stuck out. And so even though I broke, you know, got out of that relationship 20 years later, I'm an adult, I'm losing weight. Well, last year, you know, a couple of years ago, I lost 120 pounds in 10 months. I was down to a size two. My hip bones didn't stick out. And I still was obsessed with losing more weight. And you know why? Because my body is not built that way. I'm a very narrow hipped person. I carry all my weight in my stomach. I know in the back of my head, I have broken free of that relationship many years ago. I'm in a healthy, wonderful marriage of somebody who loves me for my curves and actually loves me not as like who loves all of those things. But I still had this thing deep inside of me that was telling me you're not thin enough because your hip bones aren't sticking out. And I know that's where it came from. And I think that's part of where I got obsessed with just getting as thin as I possibly could and, and trying to continue to get thinner because I was comparing myself to this image of what I thought was beautiful. And I think, you know, there's so many positive things about people sharing their stories and their weight loss journeys, but it's also one of those things that people can just get obsessed with trying to look like somebody else. And we have to realize that that's not, you know, it's hard to, to overcome that. And, you know, something that a lot of us still struggle with, which also as a, sorry, as a side note, like now gaining weight has made that even, even harder. They say that a lot of the reasons why either eating disorders or these mental health imbalances come out is yes, some of it can be genetics, but a lot of times it's environmental, which you just brought up, um, the past with your ex-boyfriend and that will absolutely affect you, especially when you are younger, has something to do with your emotions and it deeply hurts you. It's something that will almost forever affect you. And it's just working on how do you get past that almost trauma to then um, then heal from it. And then recognizing where that even stemmed from is the first and foremost, because then you can challenge your thoughts and behaviors from it. Yeah. Not to like shame anybody for being thin either. Like that's the way her body is built. And that's just the way that she is. Right. And I don't know her health level. And so again, I want to make sure I'm not criticizing uh, her body the way that I don't want mine criticized. But, you know, people are just all made differently and shaped differently. And so if she's a health, if she's healthy, the way that she is, then that's kind of just how her body is. Yeah, I can give you two stories really quickly. I had a best friend in college and we both struggled with eating disorders. So when I was in college, I only struggled with kind of the binge side of it. And I didn't know that there was even a terminology for it. She ended up dating some guy and she was always relatively thin, but she ended up dating this guy that's really, really thin. And I guess for him, maybe it's his own insecurity, but he wants his girlfriend to then subsequently be ultra thin. And so 
when he, she started dating him, she got really, really emaciated. And I remember as my best friend, I was like, girl, you are just skin and bones and I'm concerned. And instead of hearing what I was saying, she was, are you jealous of me type of thing? And then it was just about the boyfriend. So and so loves me this thin. And, you know, um, as soon as I lose more weight, he gives her all these compliments. And it was to the point where she was so thin. And I just, you know what, I'm here if you need me. And I just let it go because there's nothing I could do when you're in that. But eventually they broke up. And I think she, you know, went to get care, but she realized afterward. But when you're in it, it's really hard to see it. And when someone is saying, yes, you look good, you look good. It's so easy to then think, well, I love this person so much. I must look good. Um, And then the second story I was going to tell you really quickly is I had a friend in high school who is very, very skin and bones naturally. And no matter what she ate, she was always really thin. And I always thought the people that suffered with body dysmorphia with anything is always people that are overweight that have lost weight or, or are wanting to lose weight. And she was really skinny and she had literally, you know, what we call like chicken legs back in the day. And so she was trying on skirts and her question to me in her most vulnerable way was, do I look too skinny? And then I, that dawned on me of, wow, it's not just on one spectrum. It's across the board. We, we worry, we look too thin or we worry, we look too heavy or, you know, all of the things. And, and for her, she genuinely had a hard time gaining weight, whether it was a nutritional deficiency, but she was scared to look too thin. And so she would wear clothes that would hope, hopefully hide her like really thin ankles, uh, for example. So um, it's something that's very prevalent with um, so many people. And it's just something that's not as talked about. Yeah, I think it's also, like you said, it's it's not just people who are overweight that struggle with it. And, you know, a lot of time, the time that I was overweight, I really didn't struggle with it either. Like I almost had a harder time when I was focusing on losing weight. You know, I got to a certain point and it mattered, but I also too, I think a lot of us look back at our old pictures and you're like, I wish I looked like I did back when I thought I was fat. <laughs> like <laughs> I do remember like a lot of the time through high school and college, like just really being so uncomfortable and thinking I was like the fattest girl that I was around and just being so uncomfortable in my own skin. And I look back now and I'm like, man, I actually, I looked, look at that, being that prom dress. And I remember crying, trying on prom dresses that day, thinking I looked so fat in prom dresses and I looked cute. Like it's just, it's hard to, to separate yourself from that. Even now, like I agree with you. There's, I usually don't wear sleeveless. I don't like my arms hanging out. I have a lot of loose skin on my arms. It's it's not comfortable. And so hearing you say, something like you don't like your arms. I'm like, uh, hello, if I had your arms, I would be wearing sleeveless every day. So it's hard to, it's also, that's, I think one of the reasons why it's hard to talk about is because it's hard to express it. I think it's so personal and it's so individual to you that if you're expressing your arm insecurities, I'm going to say, shut up. I would love your arms. And so it does feel a little, there's, there's a back and forth, like, you know, you don't want to feel insensitive to other people who are potentially um, also struggling with that or having who would, we don't understand, you know, there's just so much, um, me saying that I'm struggling with something. There's people who are, um, would be happy if, if it's, you know, with this being their goal weight and there's lots of, of different elements of it that, that do make it hard to discuss. I think it's also something that men deal a lot with. Um, and that's very difficult because it's not as, common for men to want to talk about wanting, you know, their bodies and aesthetics and looking good. It's just definitely not socially uh, acceptable for them. Um, I mean, a dad bod is definitely a, a, you know, a normal thing and it's um, almost celebrated in a lot of ways. And so guys can get very obsessive about their, um, their weight and their bodies. And yet it's not really understood, I think, in a lot of ways. All of this stuff we're talking about really falls into the whole you know, perception of the body. And then it goes into like eating disorders. And that's where when I went into those facilities, they don't want you to compare for the same reasons, right? So someone that's like 50 pounds lighter than me can say, I feel so heavy. And and then I look at them and it's like, wow, if you, you know, we're all naturally as humans, very self-absorbed. And as we grow older, we learn, oh, we have to actually think about the world and stuff, right? That's why kids are, the world is about them. A lot of times when we're in those facilities and someone that's really thin says, 
oh, I'm, I feel really fat. I'm 50 pounds overweight. And then you see them and they're clearly thinner than you. Then you're like, well, then what do you think of me? Right. So, um, that's why there's a lot of these rules in those places where you can't compare. You can't talk about how much food you ate in terms of ounces and weight, uh, what you ate specifically, um, even to use any behaviors and then no numbers. So no weight pounds. Um, and we can't even talk about celebrities. Um, no examples. You can't bring in magazines. You can't bring in anything to set a baseline. You know, we as humans, we want also to have social acceptance when you're in there and everyone defines a certain beauty, then that's what you're going to start thinking is the new normal of how thin we should be or how good we should look. Let me say something. Sorry. Let me say something about that. It is interesting that they do that for, for two reasons. I think first of all, it's impossible to take away everything that's comparable because you're sitting in a room with other people and you naturally are going to compare. So like, that's difficult. And then also I, again, I didn't experience experience that I know nothing. It's, I wonder why they are so extreme about doing that because the minute you walk out of those doors, you are instantly flooded with everything that you're going to experience and all of those numbers and comparisons and celebrities and like everything is coming back. And it's, I almost think it would be more helpful if you were given those things inside and then taught how to deal with it. Or like, maybe you're not ready for it then yet, I guess is part of it. Um, I think it's a few things. One, it's because there's so many ways that, um, and a lot of the people that go in those places are mostly young girls. So very impressionable, very triggered, right? So if someone brings a magazine, they see it and they're like, well, I just had a full successful meal based on this facility. And now I feel heavier and bloated. And now I'm seeing this magazine where someone looks super thin and that looks good. And now I'm triggered. And so now for breakfast, I'm not going to eat. And so they, you know, because you go through all your meals there. So I think that's one. So they don't, it's, it's almost creating this safe environment. That's not real for sure. Um, But it's like, so that you are not obsessing or thinking about a weight, a number, um, how someone looks and then, and then working on the inner work, right? So the part that's hard, like, why are we focusing on our weight? Why are we focusing on, um, the, the food we eat, what is it defining? Is it a childhood trauma? Like what is it? And so instead of focusing on, well, I just saw that magazine that's now, that's the only thing in my head and now I don't want to eat, but rather let's do some of the hard work. Now they'll have sessions where we do like group therapy and we talk about, so like, I remember one time we did meditation where we're focusing on every part of the body, focus on your arms. We know that maybe there's some things that we don't love about our arms, but think about the good that it does. And imagine that you're able to hold your loved ones with your arms without your arms, you would not be able to hug someone or, you know, be able to do a lot of things, express yourself um, with nonverbal cues with your arms. Think about all the things that it does for you and how much we should be grateful for it rather than, oh, I have a little bit of excess skin on my arms that then make me hate my arms. And then we do this with the whole body. And so we think about the stomach and how, you know, most women hate their stomach. Oh, there's a little extra fat in that. It's where we can birth our children. A lot of it is really changing our mindset and the way we view our bodies, our food. So we have like discussions of what is a good meal, which I'm, I think they totally do incorrectly in there, but, um, but it's to challenge what our thinking is, but they need less triggers that will then cause us to derail from the actual healing. And there are people in there. I mean, like if there's one person that doesn't eat at the meal, I see, I saw the trend, like then there would be someone else that wouldn't eat too, because it's like, well, if she's not eating, then I don't want to eat. Right. I think too, when, you know, you said something earlier about how if somebody who's really thin says that they're struggling and they're insecure, then it obviously takes, you know, somebody who's heavier than that is thinking, you know, what are that, what does that mean about me? If this thin person thinks that they're fat or thinks that they have poor arms, then clearly mine are worse. And I think that as a, you know, as a heavier person, I use that as like unfortunate fuel on my, you know, um, on my fire, but it also doesn't disvalidate is that, I don't know if that's a word, but it also doesn't take away from what the other person is feeling like just, it is making me feel a certain way, but she still is feeling that way, even though she is what I would consider thin it doesn't take away what she's feeling and what she's going through and like what they need to focus on. And so I think, I think that's something that's hard for somebody who has been obese and overweight and struggle with loose skin and all those things. 
I talk about my body issues and I'm not happy with my arms and I'm not happy with my stomach. And people are like, okay, I get it. You were huge and now you're less huge, but you know, like you probably still could lose some weight. And like, it's understandable from an external perspective. And I think when you're thin and you're struggling, people don't understand that. And I think your feelings are brushed aside quite often. And it doesn't mean you actually need to get thinner or you need to lose weight, but you do need to do some work. You need to go to a therapist. You need to do the personal work, body acceptance, like work through whatever it is that you're going through. But I think that it is hard because people don't understand it. Obviously, I don't understand it because I, you know, like I want to look at those people and say like, um, hello, I'll take it. You know, like people, I think, push them off, which almost makes it trigger them worse. Yeah. I remember when I would struggle a lot and I was a lot thinner than now. Um, my husband would always say, you're so thin. You're so beautiful. I don't care how you look. And I actually like women with some meat. And then that would just trigger me just saying that. Um, that's why it's always beyond the just actual physical body. It's, And this is why I'm always a big proponent of working on the self, the inner self and getting to root cause with even therapy. But you have to figure out where does it come from, right? So for you, some of it may have come from your ex-boyfriend. I know for me, I'm a 5'8 and I'm Asian. So my Asian friends are like five foot. So I was always the bigger one in terms of height. But then I was also a little bit meatier than them, right? So maybe they were in the double zeros and I was a little bit more than that and not by much. But that b- both of those two kind of facts made me think I was this really big person. And so I had defined myself based on I have to get into those types of clothes. It wasn't ever my family. It was my peers who are super tiny, naturally. um, And we don't even have the same bone structure, but that wasn't good enough. And I would always say something's wrong with me. And that's a lot of the times the hard work and figuring out where does this stem from so that then you can challenge the thoughts that come out when you're saying, oh, I hate my arms or, oh, I hate this. It's like, why? Why, why do you hate it? And and then when you peel back, um, that that's when I think you can do true healing. And a lot of times, honestly, it needs therapy. I mean, it's not something that's really easy to figure out on your own. Otherwise, I don't think people would be struggling for so long with this kind of debilitating um, disease. Yeah, it took me a lot of years to um, break out of why could I not get a narcissist to love me enough the way that I was? You know, I think that being in that type of relationship, and that's where a lot of things like, again, I I carry all my weight in my stomach. Uh, It's why I had such a big belly. And still now, no matter how thin I get, I still have that stomach roll, like below your belly button. I'm always going to have a roll there. Before kids, I had a roll there. You know, that's the the guy who grabbed my, that stomach roll at when I'm 20 and said like, you know, you could change this if you just worked out some, you know, like, or just... fed me steamed fish and and broccoli all the time. So it's just, it's a, it takes a lot of years to break out of whatever it is that caused those things in the first place. And for a lot of people, unfortunately, it's their childhood and it's their parents and it's the way that they're, you know, or something that goes on. We first have to realize what that is and realize where that came from. And then, and like you said, do the work to get past it. And I think it, it can take a very long time to break out of that. And like I said, I still find myself, uh, I'm very much past that from a relationship standpoint, but as far as body image issues go, like we still are looking at ourselves with the most critical eye. I I mean, honestly, sometimes I'll like grab the wrong size of clothes in a clothing store and have to constantly, especially when I first lost the weight and got to my thinnest, I was constantly having to go out of the, um, the dressing room and get the, grab the smaller size and grab the smaller size because I just couldn't get over the fact that I wasn't these sizes anymore. And that I actually was thinner. Or you look at yourself in the mirror or you see a picture and you're like, I, I know we're critical a lot of the times, but I still don't even recognize myself in this body because in my head, I'm still the same person who's 250 pounds. Um, and a lot of times you still, you still feel that way. And it takes a long time to be able to, to work through that. And I think, I mean, we can talk about some things that we do to help with that. Um, but I think it definitely has to be addressing whatever the root cause is for you uh, and trying to overcome that. And I, I agree with you. I think for a lot of people, therapy is really necessary. When you brought up the close size, I went through a very similar thing where I would even, I would have dreams where I was back to being overweight or back to binging. And I would, I remember having these nightmares. It just, it just shows you that how 
prevalent the thoughts were in my head. Um, one thing I do want to say, because we didn't address people that live with people that have body dysmorphia mm. or the, you know, the aside is that a lot of people will think this is stems from vanity, but I just want to make sure that people understand that it's not, and it's not that they're self-obsessed, that there's, it's, it's really um, debilitating disorder where you want to think about other things, but your mind is just spinning with the thoughts of, oh, I've, especially if there's social events or things like that, where you have to go out or you're showing a little bit more skin and you're just constantly thinking about it, even though you try to self and redirect your thoughts, it's constantly there, but it's not about, I'm so vain and all I care about is myself. It's actually quite the opposite. It's oftentimes it's people with you know, more insecurities. And so I just wanted to bring that up. If people are struggling with someone that seems to have body dysmorphia, that seems like nothing else matters, but how their body looks. I think that's so important to bring up. And I also think that like, how do you handle that as the person who's living with somebody like that? I think your first instinct is to say like, you're fine. You're beautiful. I would kill to look like that. You're like, and, and that almost invalidates it. And that almost pushes it pushes it away and kind of like disregards their feelings when really it's saying, you know, I love you. I love you just the way you are. I, I think you're beautiful or whatever it's in, but then it's saying, how can I help? What can I do? Like it's helping encourage them to, to get the, maybe go see a therapist or depending on how extreme it is. And it's not, I think sometimes in an off, in an effort to help, we, we invalidate those feelings. Um, and that almost makes it worse. So my brother, one time, the extreme thing he did is he came to visit me in Austin. We, I lived in a condo at that time, one bedroom. And so I knew I overate in a meal and I was like, I don't want my body to get heavier. So I decided I'm going to do it. And before I went in, he said, if you go and do stuff in the bathroom, I'm leaving. And I did it. Um, and, and then he, I came out and he's like, I'm done. And he left. And then he told me on the way to the airport that if I don't get help and he, I don't work with a therapist that he would not talk to me anymore. And he literally didn't. And so I found a therapist and I had to show him like, here's all the sessions I'm going to. And that helped a little bit, but I don't think I was fully ready to go. The biggest thing I tell my husband is you have to figure out not your love language of how you communicate, but like what would work best for Judy, right? So if you're like, oh, you look fine, that might not help me when I'm in a place of struggle, right? So it might just be, maybe the question is more as how can I help you? What can I do to make you feel better right now? Is it just to be by you? Is it to listen to you? Um, Is it to give you words of encouragement? Like what is it? And ask truly for the needs of the person that's struggling, Rather than saying, I'll just say the things that will hopefully make them feel better. This is where I think learning love languages, understanding how the person functions and how to best support them based on their needs is super critical. Now, it's not easy. My husband said a lot of times it was like walking on eggshells. One minute it's like, okay, that seemed to work the last time. But now this time you're yelling at me for using the same affirmations, right? And and I get that. It's not, you know, it's a very volatile place to be. And so therefore, you're not going to react the same way. Um, things may have triggered you in a different way. And so um, it's not easy. Yeah, I think respecting that is key too. And like Chris and I deal with that with weight loss and some places on my body that I have loose skin that I'm not comfortable with and I don't want him to touch them. And if he does, it's going to really take me out of the mood. And while it doesn't bother him in some ways, like he loves that and loves my whole body and loves all of that, he is probably going to, the moment's over if you are in, you know, all up in my skin. And so I think that just because he's okay with it and loves it and thinks I'm beautiful and all these things doesn't mean that I am. And so he knows to, to respect that and kind of work with, if he wants me to feel beautiful in the moment, then he kind of has to work on my terms, you know? And I do the same thing for him, right? I do the same thing. It's not like, but we just use that example because our our husbands are are great in that way. But it definitely can be difficult um, if you don't have somebody who is understanding of that. The communication part is so important. I think the reason, I think the biggest reason why Kevin and I have a good relationship is I can share things, he can share things, and we squash things before you know they just kind of bubble up to the surface with so much other stuff. And I think that's so important so that when you have a strong foundation, then you can work on these root cause things because otherwise, without a strong foundation, how are you going to get to root cause? Yeah, I think there's, there's, 
you know, we, we talked about getting to the root cause, getting therapy. I also think that realizing that there may be some things that you need to let go of to help you heal is really important. And you might have to let go of watching certain television shows because they're just too triggering for you. You might have to let go of following certain people because it's, it's harmful to you and your mental state because you're personally doing too much comparison to yourself. And it's not... It, you know, it sends you on a spiral. You might have to cut out time with friends. You know, there are people that I used to be very strong friends with that loved me as a hot mess. But when I started working hard to get my life together, they were a lot less encouraging of it because when I'm the hot mess friend, I think it made them feel better about themselves. And the minute that I was all of a sudden on a, you know, like it kept bringing me down because they were almost encouraging me to like go back to being a hot mess again. So, um, And unfortunately, I think that a lot of people have toxic family relationships. And, you know, I'm not saying you have to make the decision if you're going to cut them out of your life. But if anything, just giving space. If you have somebody who's not respecting your your feelings, if they're not being helpful, if they're being harmful about the way that they're talking to you about your body. And, you know, I I think unfortunately people have toxic um, family members who talk to them in a negative way about their bodies and telling them they need to lose, you know, like what's wrong with them that you need space from that and whether it's cutting them out completely or just creating some boundaries for yourself uh, that's one of those things that's that is really important to do a lot of my clients I work with and um, a lot of the women that have eating disorder tendencies or just you know body dysmorphia they often say it's from their mom or their mom yeah. had this imbalance or the relationship where it's like I felt loved by my mom if I was a certain way or a certain weight or the way I ate was in line with what my mom wanted or I looked a certain way. And um, it's very, very, actually very prevalent um, that I've seen in this space. So that's one of the things that motivates me the most about the way that I talk about myself in front of my daughter. Um, And I mean, I, I, I'm very careful not to talk about weight and specific pounds and like thin and like we are, we talk about not eating sugar and being healthy and strong and all those things, but it doesn't mean I'm perfect in that way. And so it's, it is really important about thinking about who's listening to us when we're struggling or if we're looking at pictures of ourselves and deleting pictures. I wish I had so many more pictures of myself from a heavier size to look back on in those memories with my kids. And I think that's it. I think, I think there's a, there's a balance of protecting yourself like we're talking about, and then also pushing yourself to be in uncomfortable situations to let yourself know you're going to be okay. And so where is that balance? You have to decide that. Don't let others push you, but maybe you you can ask others to encourage you. But I wish I would have more pictures um, from myself with my kids because I think we all spend a lot of time hiding in pictures from the things that we're uncomfortable with. And and I wish I had some of those memories still, but um all of that does push me very much to about the way to be careful about the way I talk about myself and comparing myself to others because I don't want her to fall into that same uh, to that same trap. Even for my son, um, just the other day, he said, I, I told him, oh, um, you know, make sure to put on a shirt uh, when he was going out. And then he said something like, why? Because I'm fat. And I was like in shock that he said that. Yeah. And I was like, why are you saying that? Don't ever say that. Um, you're not. And And he said, because dad says that sometimes. And I was like, oh, (laughs) so (laughs) as much as we we think so loosely, Kevin has no eating disorder. So it's not a big deal if he says it, but it actually. And then the other day, since Kevin loves to count calories, Caleb was like, what's a calorie? And so I had to explain to him that, you know, well, if and so he was like, well, if 500 calories in a milkshake and 500 calories in a steak, like what's the difference? And I explained nutrient density. And so it's really important to talk because as much as. Kevin isn't someone that has an eating disorder. He obviously has made an impression on Caleb about stuff about weight that he doesn't understand, but he's just using the terminology. Yeah. And so absolutely, it's really important. Um, I think one of the other things that helps me the most is just trying to see myself from people that love me's perspective, right? When I was at my heaviest when I'm at my thinnest, when I'm everywhere in between, I am loved by my mom. I'm loved by my husband. I'm loved by my kids. You know, they want me to play with them. They don't care what I look like. And I think that even friends of mine, when we are so critical of ourselves, like 
imagine like Judy, you mentioned it in college, you didn't want to go to Hawaii because you didn't want to wear a bikini and ha- with your friends. If one of your friends came to you and said that to you, what would your response have been to them? If they said, I'm not going to go on this trip. And the real reason is because I don't want to wear a bikini around all you girls. I would think it's absurd, right? Yeah. <laughs> As, I mean, yeah. you think it's crazy. You think like you're like, there's so much we would tell, think about, talk to yourself, like someone you love. If someone you love came to you and said like, oh, I can't wear that dress because my arms look crazy, you know, big or whatever. You're telling them like, who, where, if you love the dress, wear the dress or say like, okay, great. Let's find you something better. And like, doesn't mean you have to push yourself to like, I mean, wear the dress, but just to say like, go take the pictures, like imagine 30 years from now, looking back, you're going to love having those pictures of you with the kids at that age. And they're going to want to see those. They're going to show their kids those pictures someday. And they're going to want to show that their mom was in those pictures with them. Or, you know, I try to think about that. If I'm struggling with something and I'm frustrated because I gained weight and I had to buy a bigger pair of pants sizes now, but you know, what would a friend tell me? What would somebody who loves me tell me? They would tell me you're actually way healthier now than you were, um, you know, a year ago and you're in a much better place mentally and, you know, your body's healthier and listen, you're not where you were at your heaviest and you're not where you were at your thinnest, but you're the healthiest that you've ever been. And, you know, it's really hard to do that. It's very, it's easier said than done, but, um, I think that sometimes brings me back down to reality when I say, if I'm talking about not wanting to wear shorts because I don't like my legs, like what would somebody, would I even care or, or number one, would I care or even notice somebody else who was wearing shorts in that way? Because I guarantee you, whatever your critique of yourself is, um, everybody else is always worrying about their own critiques. They're not noticing yours or their own worst elements. They're not even looking at yours. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what I always um, remind myself and I tell my clients is, look, let's say it's factually, you could see it in your appearance. The thing is, everyone is so self-obsessed or worried about their own insecurities. So they may go, oh, so-and-so gained weight, but then they move on. It's like a split second thought and they just don't care enough. Right. And so I, oftentimes if I get anxious about anything, I just think, get out of your head, Judy, you're being self-obsessed, right? That everyone is just focused on themselves. And that allows me to think, okay, it's just a split second. They don't really care. It's more me. And I care more to think about the positives that will come out of the event, right? So whether it's um, making memories, having um, social interaction, all of these meaningful things, and not worry so much of the fear of going and then not maybe being accepted, because that's when oftentimes I'll do this pros cons list of okay, what are the pros of going or pros of doing something or wearing something? And what are the cons? And oftentimes the cons really uh, are lackluster, right? It's like, I don't want to be judged or I, don't, I might not look good or I'll feel bad or I'll feel anxious. But in general, the positives are so positive that it makes it worthwhile to right. not live in fear, um, not live in your emotions and not be able to experience life because when you're actually staying at home and isolating, I mean, we, we see how much damage it's done in this last year. Yeah, exactly. People, a lot of people have gained weight over the last year and you're going to start going places and people might think in their head for us, like you said, a split second, well, I th- did she gain some weight? First of all, they may not even notice, but even if they do, then you're going to have a great time. You're still, a, you know, be your amazing person and staying home and isolating yourself for me only made it worse because then I'm going to eat more and then I'm going to spiral more and I'm going to gain more weight and then I'm going to feel worse. And that's kind of when everything just really gets out of control. Um, yeah. And think about if you have a friend, your best friend, your family member, you're seeing them for the first time in a year and they've gained weight, you might notice, but do you care? Do you love them less? Do you like them less? Like they feel the same way about you. People don't love us for the way that we look. And if they do, like my narcissistic boyfriend in college, that's not a good relationship. Get out of there. I always say that if you meet with your friends or your loved ones or your family, boyfriend, whoever it is, and you walk away more times than not feeling bad about yourself or something was off. then it might be a time to just separate yourself from the relationship. And I had to do that. That wasn't easy for me with some of my 20 plus year friendships. But I realized that oftentimes it was hurting me more than helping. And I just got to a point that, well, there's no point to 
keep these relationships just because of years of friendship. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. No, that's, I think that's exactly right. I think be around people who encourage you, who um, love you no matter what, who call you out and tell you, you know, are not afraid to like be honest with you. Um, And I think that's, I think that's really important. And one of the key things for this, and I think, you know, we have to do a lot of work on ourselves, but I think putting yourself in circumstances that are encouraging, that are fun, putting yourself out there, all of those things help. Um, I think also just realizing you are not alone in this and it doesn't matter yeah. what somebody looks like. I mean, why do you think that these Hollywood celebrities are so obsessed with plastic surgery and editing and, you know, I mean, look at somebody like Khloe Kardashian and I can't even imagine what she went through most of her life being labeled as the fat sister. And now she's just like, doesn't even look like herself or, you know, it shows you like what can happen when you're obsessed and she's a gorgeous person. And I don't, you know, obviously know what she struggles with, but you can only imagine what has been imposed there. And like, you know, I, I, there's so much that you don't see, right. So many filters and editing and surgeries and all these things from everybody. Um, that I think we just have to remember that you are absolutely not alone in this. And no matter who your ideal person is, they're struggling with things of their own. And, you know, we, we need to kind of internalize that and, and work on yourself and, and not try to compare yourself to, to somebody else. And that is not easy at all. I know. When we compare ourselves to someone that looks perfect, we just assume that they have no issues or they're not struggling with their own dysmorphia or any of that stuff. And we just think, why can't I just look like them? Right. Or be like them. Or why can't I have certain parts of me be like them? But everyone struggles. Um, there's always this kind of bar that we, we've set for ourselves. And I saw it in um, a lot of the anorexics. So you get to a certain weight and you're like, okay, I'm going to just lose one more pound to make so that hopefully then my arm will be thin enough or my leg will be thin enough. And people just keep looking at it until the yeah. baseline gets lower and lower. And I'm telling you guys, I saw girls that got so thin that then they had to get into um, forced hospitalized care where some of them get uh, fed into a tube. And then it's like, when is it enough? When is it yeah. enough that you're like, finally, um, I look good enough. And it, it there the bar will always move. And you don't want to follow that. I'm, I'm telling you here, living through that, it's such a hard place to be. Even if you get to the perfect figure that you wanted, I'm telling you, it's it's an empty life if that's all you're going after. Because I, I was there. I, I had the body that I wanted. And I was probably the most depressed, uh, most disordered you could think of. And I don't talk about all the dark, dark times, but I, I was there. And I would never trade my life now for then for maybe the 10 pounds I could lose. So, yeah, I think it's important to motivate yourself to have goals, to work towards things, you know, um, to, to work on your health, but then also there's the balance of accepting yourself and focusing on your health and your overall happiness. Uh, And we have to know where that balance is and it's, it's going to be different for every person, but that's, that's what we hope you can find by listening to this, by um, by the people that you follow, by the content that you consume. Um, we want you to find a balance of motivating, um, working on better health, working on reaching some of those goals, uh, losing weight to get healthy, um, but then also really loving and accepting yourself and finding out where the balance of health and happiness and um, all those things come in to the best place possible. You know, we've talked about a lot of tips throughout this podcast, but, you know, one thing I'll leave with you guys is that for me and um, even recommendations to my clients is, you know, when we wake up, we have thoughts and we have feelings and these thoughts and feelings will then affect our actions. So if your instant morning is, oh, my stomach feels really bloated and now I don't feel well, and then you put on your pants and you feel kind of like a muffin top and that just throws off your day you know, check yourself with that. In the morning, I don't get onto social media. I don't look at my emails immediately. I look at, I listen to a podcast that, you know, has positive messages from the beginning so that I start my day well. I get out of my head. If I feel like, oh, I passed by the mirror and I don't look great. I I don't focus on that. I make it a very devalued thing in my life so that then it doesn't affect the way I can really live my life and enjoy my life and really be there for my kids, my family, my community. 
So one thing I would say is just focus on positives, you know, start a gratitude journal, like what are you thankful for as much as you had a crappy day, there's still good things that have happened. And we always end our nights with what are we thankful for the day? You know, Laura said, uh, watch what you consume. It's super important. I think um, just do the things that uh, bring a positive and bring good light to your life. And if things are dimming it, then maybe at a certain point, it's time to just move away from it. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. I think that's, uh, I think that's our main message for today and hope this was helpful. If it was helpful, we would love it if you could share this uh, to leave us a review. Uh, If you enjoy doing this, subscribe to the podcast. And so that way we can continue to help spread this message to others. Thanks so much for listening today. Thanks guys. And I'll leave a um, actual questionnaire, a clinical questionnaire for body dysmorphia in the show notes. So if you guys want to take it, you can see uh, based on the score, they will define if you need more support. But, you know, if a lot of the conversation that we talked about resonated with you, I don't think you should stop by just a questionnaire. Um, I think therapy is really good for everyone. Absolutely. That is an excellent point. Thank you. All right, guys, we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us to share real talk with more community members. You can also find my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Care in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura Spath. Thank you again for joining us. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.